1: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
2: Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and today we have a very special guest. This gentleman is someone who I've met in the last couple of years who has intrigued me from the moment that he said hello. He calls himself uh, the master of enthusiasm. I agree because he is constantly Smiling and happy, and sees the world in a way that others do not. I'd like to introduce to you Arjuna Arda. Arjuna is an author, he's a writer, he's a public speaker, he has trained many, many people around the world to become facilitators. His focus these days is awakening. And as an author, he has written seven books. His one of his bestsellers is The Translucent Revolution. His newest book is Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. I can't wait to hear more about this, Arjuna. Welcome to the show.
3: How are you doing this morning? Where are you? I'm at home in my beautiful, beautiful uh, place in Nevada City, California, where it is surprisingly sunny and warm for January, and I'm... uh, Uh Very been very much looking forward to this conversation. I know you, You, I've, I've heard you speak, and I, I know that you have one of the most interesting and inquisitive and inquiring minds.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's, I always feel like um, that my guests have, they bring it out in me, you know. My guests have so much uh, to bring forth into the world, and I'm very fortunate to have you today. Let's talk a bit about... Out of the beginning Now, Arjuna, you have been an author for many years You have brought your message into the world um, You have traveled around the world You are actually from England, is that correct? UK? Um, yes, yes mm-hmm. and, and how long have you lived in Nevada City Where, you know, near the beautiful Lake Tahoe Near Seattle, the Sierra Nevada Mountains How long have you lived there?
3: Oh, I've been up here now since 1998, so Mm do the math. I guess it's maybe 16 years, something like that. I've raised both my boys here from from being small children.
2: Well, it's the kind of community that I find that um, is... Extremely intentional. That's what I find when I go there. It's it's beautiful. People there tend to want to be around nature um, and don't take for granted the what I consider the important aspects of life: the spiritual side, the um, holistic side, a way of being in the world that um, really matters. And I experience you that way, Arjuna, that you see those things as important. And in your most recent book, Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching, um, I have to tell you, when I first saw the title, I thought, really? <laughs> really? And and so I, before we get started, let's just have you share, you know, what is this title about?
3: You know, why did you name your book Better Than Sex? Sure. It's a great question. Well, um... Um, The book is about a a particular style of coaching called Awakening Coaching, and we can talk obviously more about what that means, but um, Awakening Coaching is a way of helping someone connect with the authentic source of energy and creativity and aliveness, which is actually what makes everything else work anyway. So uh, it was a couple of years ago, Cheryl, I was in um, Vienna, Austria, and I was doing a, 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 a weekend seminar. It was not, not a full training, it was just like an introductory weekend. And I was teaching people how easy it is for anybody to become an excellent facilitator of uh, shifting consciousness to anybody else. So I taught them all how to how to do this. And they and then we it was on a Saturday and everybody went home and the next day was Sunday and we all came back and I was asking, well, how was it? You know, now that now that a day's gone by, uh, how how was the experience And people would say, oh, it felt really peaceful. I felt so much creativity flowing through me, all the stress melted away, there were many different uh, answers to the question, and then somebody said, she said it was a German woman named Verena, who has since become a very good friend, and and she she said, she said, I feel so good in my body, I feel so alive, so good, she said, "It's, it's, I don't know how to explain it, it's better than sex. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I snapped my fingers. I said, Verena, that's it. Do you mind if I make that the title of my new book? So that's, oh, wow. that's how it came to be, with somebody was simply innocently describing mm. uh, what it's like to be in this, um, in this relationship with somebody else, which is actually a coaching relationship. Yes. Uh, but still, it is an, a, an extremely empowering, beautiful thing to do with mm-hmm. another person, to help them open to their true nature as infinite.
2: I, I absolutely agree. I love how you say that um, you know it 's extremely um, powerful i I have always found as a coach that the relationship you develop with a client um, becomes very intimate in a way that you know they become extremely vulnerable and let someone in a lot of coach to help them um, deepen and broaden their perspective of themselves and of the world and you know, it, it's not everyone who can help others do that. You know, I think it, there's, there's some of us who tend to have that innate gift, as you do, and um, it sounds like what you're saying, though, is that the capacity to do this can be taught.
3: Oh, is that right? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've trained uh, 1,300 uh, people in this uh, approach called awakening coaching. And, um, and obviously, there's a little bit of self-selection of who comes to be sure. trained. But once people show up for a training, I've found that everybody is trainable because everybody has the innate capacity to listen. Everybody has the innate capacity to support and to want the best for another human being. We all discover that when we parent, for example. So I think everybody has within them the capacity to really listen to and bring out the the innate brilliance in another person. But really the distinction, I think, is how deeply are we willing to do that? You know, there are are different ways of coaching and some styles of coaching, you know, may focus more on helping somebody get what they want, their most immediate goals, which uh, I have found to be a little unsatisfying. You know, I would rather have mm-hmm. somebody not just get what they think they want in this moment, but yeah. really drill much deeper into a connection with their ultimate potential as limitless, as really, as, um, yeah, as, as uh, the, the the source of all creativity and the source of all solutions and the source of, of uh, everything good and marvelous and wonderful.
2: Well, and so is this something that... Um so I guess i 'm thinking about as you as a person, you demonstrate you live this you know you are you walk around like this, and so how did you
3: get there? Did somebody help you do this yes um, you know i uh, i 've always had a leaning towards mystical investigation. Um, really, born out of suffering, you know, I was born into a family, uh, God bless their cotton socks, uh, where there was uh, a lot of suffering. there was a lot of mental illness and suicide in my family so um, from an early age, you know only by the time I got to be a teenager, I realized wow you know i 've actually been dealt um, a pretty uh, not a very good hand here, so I realized either I was going to go crazy or commit suicide like some of my relatives had, or I was going to need to find a way to actually transform my consciousness, and that's how, at 14, I learned meditation and I started to practice yoga. You know, I checked out psychotherapy, but it really didn't seem like it was going to do enough. You know, it, yeah. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a deep enough scouring agent that I was looking for. So, um, yeah, I, I actually um, have investigated these things for a long time, and it was when I was um, I got to be 34. When I met a man in India who was actually a retired army officer, believe it or not, Um, and he had a very rough sort of military approach to the whole thing, and really within a few days of meeting him, he just knew how to ask the right questions, and within a few Mm -hmm. days of meeting him, uh, there was a direct experiential recognition of, mm-hmm. of infinity, of, of limitlessness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since then, i found that it's actually much easier to pass that on than uh, many of these um, traditions would have us believe. It's actually very easy to uh, awaken that in another person, and it's very easy to learn how to do it. It's really, this, is, this whole thing has been shrouded in an unnecessary mm-hmm. degree of, of mysticism. Mm-hmm. Interesting.
2: Well, when you say that you were 14 when you decided you were not going to accept the path that, you know, you kind of walked into in, in your family, uh-huh. and it, so at 14, that's a pretty young age, and, you know, that that's pretty self-aware to be able to say, I want something different
3: well you know people respond according to their circumstances um if you if if you were 14 and your parents were killed and you know you were left to fend for yourself you would pretty quickly learn the ways of the street you know and if you were 14 and you um you there was no money. You would pretty mm. quickly learn how to get a job. Mm. Well, in my right. case, I was 14, and I was faced with a lot of psychological suffering, so I pretty quickly had to mm. learn how to deal with it. Right, So, you know, people right. adapt. So people, people really yeah. actually find their strengths very often. People find their greatest strengths according to their greatest challenges. Mm. Mm. Oh, and so then you
2: continued the path and moved um, into your 20s and 30s, I assume... Continuing your exploration, were you finding um,
3: things before you actually had that experience at age 34, yes, in but, your 20s? Yes, but Cheryl, I'd say a lot of what I learned in those intervening years was, was, was basically to recognize dead ends. You know, because hmm. uh, when we explore, when we become interested in an ultimate kind of freedom... And the kind of freedom I'm talking about is not some kind of retreat from the world. You know, I I work a lot with business executives, with people running large organizations, with people making huge impact on the world. I work with a lot of authors and people making films. So uh, what I'm teaching uh, with this coaching method has has nothing to do with renunciation or mystical retreat. It's a very empowered kind of state that we arrive at. But... um, yeah, I, I discovered a lot of dead ends. You know, I mean, during those intervening years, I, I really developed a catalog of things that don't work. Interesting. <laughs> and when I finally stumbled upon what does work, it was disarmingly simple. It's, like, it's crazy how simple it is Yeah, yeah. Uh, to actually just recognize your true nature and live from yeah. there.
2: You know, I I so love you saying this, that it's so simple. Um, I, I have had that experience, and what's, what I find is that, Early when I've had the experience of something like this being so simple, I began to doubt its power. Yeah. I began to say, well, it can't possibly be so significant then. Yeah. And, and you know, so then the the kind of the voices in the head just start playing with the, the psyche, right, <laughs> playing with your confidence. Did you have that experience?
3: Um. Kind of, not exactly. I, 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 I would say I had uh, little tastes um, oh. earlier in my life. But there is a difference, you see, between having a taste of your true nature mm-hmm. as infinite and having. Um, realization. It's a different, little bit different thing. Realization means the recognition of how things actually are. And realization can't be reversed. You see, a taste can be yeah. taken away. Realization is irreversible. Let me give you a really quick example. Yeah. Um, supposing that I'm looking for my glasses and they're actually perched on top of my head. I've mm-hmm. actually done this before. You know, I've had my, I put my glasses <laughs> on top of my head and I start asking my family members, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? Well, if one of my sons actually ra- looks at the ceiling in disbelief and then points to the top of my head once I put my hand up and go oh there they are that Mm -hmm. is irreversible I can't undo that once I've realized that what I was looking for is actually on my head that is irreversible because it's a realization it's not an experience now Ah. in the same way What happened for me when I was 34 with my teacher was not not exactly a powerful experience. Experiences come and go. It was a powerful realization. And realization actually is something that permanently and irreversibly shifts the way that you see things. Because now you realize, oh, my God, I'm not who I thought I was. I'm not actually this little story of desire and fear trapped inside uh, some skin. I am actually infinite consciousness, the source of all creative energy. I'm actually the source of of beauty and brilliance and love and and, and and solutions. And there is a story of a person with a past, and the story has to be honored for what it is, but it doesn't really define or limit who i am now that realization once you recognize experientially that your true nature has no boundaries it cannot be reversed it's a realization of what is true
2: that is beautiful and we have to talk more about this and we're going to do that when we come right back
1: Consulting, Developing leaders worldwide.
0: What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: And welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my very special guest Arjuna Arda, the author of Better Than Sex: The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. So, Arjuna, you know, we've talked about um, kind of how you've Discovered your path to the concept of awakening coaching, and um, you know, I, I as I first read your title, uh, I thought, well, no, this is interesting. This could be a bit of a double entendre. The subtitle, the ecstatic art of awakening coaching. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if the concept is awakening coaching, or if the concept is about the awakening of coaching. Mm. And I thought, hmm, you know, and as I dig deeper and hear you talk more about this
3: I think it actually could be both you know? I think you're right there yeah, yeah. you know um, the, the book actually has some endorsements now which it didn't have um, when, when I sent it to you and uh, I think it was John Gray the author of Men Are From Mars Women Are From Venus mm-hmm. he said uh, his, his endorsement was he said that it was a this was actually a reboot for both coaching and a spiritual awakening it, it transforms mm-hmm. coaching it transforms coaching this approach that we've created it transforms coaching into a much higher potential of coaching because instead of simply coaching people to get what they think they want or to you know master skills to produce specific results it actually coaches people to become the creative source of everything which which really um, which catapults everything to a completely different dimension particularly with people who are have a lot of responsibility uh, you really have to be connected to a dimension of yourself which is limitless to be able to do everything that's demanded of you. And it, But it also transforms spiritual awakening because spiritual awakening has actually been tied up with religion right. and uh, various kinds of traditions which make it incredibly complicated and mm-hmm. um, really bogged down by patriarchy very often or hierarchy, uh, by ritual, uh, by suspicious, superstitious beliefs. So an approach like this really Freeze the whole thing up to become extremely simple and approachable by anybody
2: Well, I love that, and, and what you say about you know people who are have high responsibility, I think about a lot of the clients that you and I both have, leaders of major organizations around the world, and how the best ones are those who I see have this capacity to really see beyond. What is and to believe that things that people, other people say are not possible can, in fact, be. And, you know, and they tend to be positive. They tend to be people who um, don't take no for an answer easily, who um, don't have a sense that um, things just can't happen and and as i have worked with them throughout the years it's fascinating to me how they show up differently and you talk about some skills that um people can learn in the the seven core competencies that that people can learn through this awakening coaching process Mm -hmm. and and as i looked at them i thought you know a lot of them actually do demonstrate this so why don't you
3: Talk to me about this.
2: Tell our listeners about these seven core competencies.
3: Yes. Well, the seven seven skills we describe are actually skills... Excuse me. I'm just going to take a sip of water here. <laughs> excuse me. The seven skills we describe are the skills which allow anybody to be a fantastic... Um, Facilitator of awakening to anybody else. So these are coaching skills, right? Mm. So I'll briefly mention them to you. Maybe I'll I'll mention each one, and then you can tell me if you have any question about it. The first skill is actually called inspired certainty. And we have all experienced inspired certainty already. already. It simply means the capacity to communicate to somebody else that something is much simpler and more accessible than they thought it was. So in the case of awakening coaching, it means that the coach can listen to their client's story of limitation, can listen to the challenges and be compassionate with that and understand that that is their subjective experience, but can also know that all of these limitations are happening within a bigger context, which is freedom. And the The coach knows you may be caught in a story, but I know who you really are. Mm -hmm. I'll just very briefly give you a a, a parallel to that, which I think everyone can relate to, uh, which is in the book. Uh, That years ago, I, for the first time, went had a skiing lesson. And I got into the wrong group. So I ended up up on top of the mountain, unable to ski. But the young skiing instructor, this, this, this story is told in much more detail in the book, but the young skiing instructor, not knowing that I was in the wrong group, he just said, Come on, mate, come on down. He was an Australian, he kind of, or a New Zealander. Uh-huh. And he guided me down the slope, just like, It's easy, come on, don't worry. And his attitude of no problem. Uh-huh. Was so infectious that I actually made it down this quite steep slope with Great. very little skiing experience, because his 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 inspired certainty was infectious, and we've all of us had that. You know, I, I had a an English teacher at school who who met me in inspired certainty, and that's what allowed me to write books later in my life. We've all had people who believed something was easy in a way that was infectious. And that's the first quality of awakening coaching, is to recognize that relaxing into who you really are is the easiest thing in the world. All that's required is to give up your stories.
2: Mm. I love this. And so you've, you've probably had that experience beyond that situation where you have
3: recognized in yourself that you were living a story. Is that true? Totally. Where we, I think we, all of us, unplug from stories mm-hmm. all the time. You know, that's, yeah. that's, the, uh, that's the art of living awakening yeah. is to continuously recognize where you have engaged in a story of limitation and just to unplug it, not to replace it with another story, but to actually just then live in a sort of an open receptivity to um, is much bigger than our own logical understanding. Mm.
2: I love that you said that because, you know, people have this tendency to believe that once they learn something, then they have to absolutely be that all the time. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, what you're teaching is to have that recognition, have that
3: awareness all the time, so that when it kicks in, you can shift it, right? Quite, Quite honestly, I wouldn't even go that far as to say have that awareness all the time. It's just... Somehow, I was actually teaching a training this earlier today, and somebody was asking something similar. And you know, it, let's let's just let's just peel it back a little bit to uh, when we were little kids. So imagine that you and I, Cheryl, you know, we go back, we 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 wind it back a few decades, and imagine we were little we're little kids together in the sandbox. You know, we meet in the sandbox, and we're just playing in the sandbox. And life is simple, and life is easy, and you're playing, and you can make a beautiful castle, and no thoughts arise about having to do it perfectly. No thoughts even arise about having to be aware all the time. You're just in a playful mode, and things are easy. And really, that's what our coaching when, it's, when we coach people, that's what we bring them back to is an easy, effortless, playful relationship to life where brilliance just, just flows through you and you don't have to worry about any of this. It's, it's natural because you are brilliant already. You see, you are infinite consciousness. You don't have to do anything about it. You are already that. You just relax, (laughs) and you just have to be
2: willing to let it be seen, let it be revealed to yourself.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: Yeah, That's it. That's it. Yeah, lovely. And so, would would you say that for you personally, that your natural
3: state is happiness? I'd say everybody's is. You know, everybody's Mm. natural state is happiness. We just have to shake off. those uh, unnecessary stories that have been added onto it. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not denying suffering in the world, don't get me wrong. I, you yeah. know, I, in fact, I spend a lot of my life um, helping people out as much as I can. I know there's sure. suffering in the world, but when we are suffering, you see, there's different kinds of suffering. There's suffering in Africa because people don't have enough to eat. Mm. And there's suffering of people who have been unfairly imprisoned, but the suffering that um, that most of us are familiar with in our Western culture is not that kind of suffering. Yeah. It's the suffering of complaint. It's huh. the suffering of taking things for granted. It's huh. the suffering of finding things irritating. Most of the suffering we experience is actually more to do, more like the spoiled child syndrome than the starving child. And it's mm. actually a more real suffering, you know. I, I would say I've lived in, uh, I've had the, the, the privilege to live in many, many different countries in the world, including quite poor countries like India and Nepal and Thailand and, and, and other countries like that. I've lived in rural areas of India at, at one time or another. And I can tell you, you know, I've seen people who, um, who have very, very, very little, you know, who really are where their next meal is not guaranteed. Yeah. And I can remember on one particular day, I went for a walk in rural India a long time ago, and I I, I met a family. You know, there was four people living inside one, literally a mud hut with a goat. And they were inviting me for tea. Please have tea. They didn't want money. They just wanted to share what they had with me. And they were laughing, and they were happy. I'm not suggesting we should live like that. It's just an illustration. Mm -hmm. And then I, I actually traveled by car to Chennai, which is a large city in India, where I saw a little less sparkle in people's eyes. And then I flew from Chennai all the way to um, Washington, Dallas Airport. And then from there, I took a domestic flight from Washington to Sacramento. Now I was flying domestically in apparently one of the wealthiest countries in the world, or perhaps the wealthiest, you know. And I saw the light had gone out of people's eyes and that you know, people were overweight and looking just tired and exhausted and fed up with their life and the the problem you see is is not the, the suffering that actually is mostly besieging this world is not so much a lack of physical things but it's a lack it 's it's a, it's a problem with consciousness, mm-hmm. and that we can shift that is easy to shift. We just have to start stop taking things for granted and pay attention and then you see that every moment is miraculous you know i mean mm-hmm. it 's extraordinary this is an incredible psychedelic show of appearance, like wow, you know the, the, the leaves and the and the sunlight coming through the trees and the taste of the T on the tongue, and the fact that you and I can communicate over distance on this incredible invention called telephone that other people can then listen to later. Like, I mean, your mind is blown by the possibilities of what's happening, but you've got to keep your mind blown all the time, you see. You've got to be able to find a way to look at each moment fresh. And that, incidentally, is most needed in business environments. You know, that's, that's, that's what actually makes businesses brilliant. If you look at Apple, you know, which until recently was. The wealthiest country—the the, the, uh, the well, country—I should have said country. The yeah, wealthiest right. <laughs> company in the world had more assets yeah. than anybody in the world. Yeah. They've shifted position a little bit now, but that was Steve Jobs. If you read about him, I mean, he had yeah. you know, various defects, of course, as well. But he saw things with fresh eyes. He didn't take mm-hmm. things for granted, and yeah. you'll see that to to especially today when things are changing so fast, the way to have effective leadership. The way to have effective innovation and creation is to be able to see things constantly fresh with the eyes of a child, and that is something that is not far away. It can be easily taught. It can be easily coached with the right skills, and it makes all the difference today. Things are changing so fast. You cannot lead in a company. You cannot... Innovate new things in society through imitation. It's got to be done through pure creative spark that comes from a source beyond the mind.
2: I absolutely love that. I love what you say. And I, as I'm thinking about that, I, I think about how so much of business today is focused on the bottom line profit, um, and they talk about you know top line development, bottom line profit, and you know let's grow the company big, but. Then all of a sudden we've got to make sure that we pull expenses back, that we um, are giving stockholders value, and the focus becomes very narrow. And in those moments, I see organizations begin to collapse in on themselves. You know, mm-hmm. even if they are, even if their bottom line is improving, even if the numbers go up, the energy in the company tends to collapse in. And what you're talking about, that spark, seems to disappear. And so, how do you help people understand? that um, what you're talking about this sense of, of wonderment and ecstatic joy and you know perspective about seeing things in a way that you, know, you don't take things for granted how do you help them know that that is not going to hurt their bottom line
3: well um, actually I've written this quite a bit about this in my book translucent revolution so really it's about it's about Values and clear perception, you see, because um, there, there was an interesting book came out a few years ago by a British uh, psychologist who actually I went to university with him. His name is Oliver James. He wrote the book Affluenza. And he was mm, demonstrating yes. which has been, what has been followed up by Martin Seligman at the um, Center for Positive Psychology. Yes. that uh, actually, the things that we have been indoctrinated to think will make us happy Actually, they don't work. I mean, just a little bit of psychological research will prove that, for example, with money, it's been very well documented now. There's been, they've, they've compared uh, annual income to a 24-point measure of well-being. They did this at the, at the Center for Positive Psychology. It's also followed up with Oliver James's book, Affluenza. Comparing income to well-being, up until 50,000 pounds in England, which is where Oliver wrote his book, uh, which is... Um $74,000 in America is actually a little higher in America because there's not so much um, social security and there's not free medicine. So you could say maybe, you know, $100,000 at a guess. Uh, your well-being goes up. So you, you're making 30000 You make 35000 your well-being goes up. Make 40000 your well-being goes up. But it's a bell curve. And bell curve is not much above 100000 And after that, it stays level for a little while, and then it goes down. So what you find is that people whose annual income is over a million a year have higher rates of divorce, higher rates of alcoholism and drug abuse, higher rates of conflict with with teenage children. All across the board, the quality of life goes down. Now, here's the thing. Once you can – you don't have to tell people your values are wrong. That's not going to help. You can't say to somebody who's got a lot of money, oh, you shouldn't have money. What you can do is help somebody to experience a real source of well-being. And that's not far away. That's actually mm. just behind your own eyes, right? That's, no, that it, it's very easy to help someone to discover their true nature as limitless, which is also love, which is also relaxation, which is also humor, which is also creativity. Once you tap into that, your values naturally rearrange themselves because your relationships get better. Naturally, you're feeling mm. more loving. You're feeling more easy. Your relationships get better. That's a very natural first consequence of awakening coaching As relationships improve. Relationships with children get much better.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: your leadership ability gets better if, you're, if, if that's what you're doing because mm-hmm. you're, not, you're, not, you're not so much in control and fear anymore. So naturally, your values rearrange themselves. You can still enjoy money, but it doesn't become the primary force in your life anymore. Right. And you can okay. see then that it's possible to provide a different kind of leadership. You're not providing leadership just to make the shareholders happy. You're providing leadership to create a company that is having some service to the world, that is actually making a positive contribution, that's making the world a better place. And then you can inspire shareholders not just to invest to make money. You can inspire shareholders to do what this was originally about, which is to lend money to something they believe in. And there's a lot of companies like this today You recently where uh, Snapchat, for example, refused yes. to be bought out just recently. There's, for yeah. example, Cliff Bar, which is a, a kind of health bar. They refused to be bought out because the quality of what they're doing, the contribution they were making was more important than money. And actually, mm-hmm. when you look at it, I mean, everybody knows this, okay? Everybody knows this. I have a friend who's very much identified with money. He thinks a lot about money. He's, you know, it's it's really important to him. But a, a couple of years ago, his daughter uh, got got very very sick, and it looked like she was going to die. a Little girl. Well, in that moment, he would have given all his money to save his daughter because you could see right. in that moment it was obvious to him that his intimate relationships, that love, was actually. Gave him more real value than money, and I've seen this again and again, that when people are faced with difficult choices, there's a lot of things they will choose over money. Absolutely true. We've got all our values wrong. The same thing with fame. Fame doesn't give you very much either. You know, people put a lot of energy into trying to get Mm. famous. Mm. Listen to recent interviews. Go find interviews with Russell Brand or um, Sean Penn. There's a whole bunch of interviews that were done in the last couple of years of of famous, wealthy celebrities saying, it's all empty. It didn't give me anything. You know, Mm. what does give you something is creating value, is contributing to people. And then you can have a completely different reason for running a company and you can be a steward for those values. And you can even say to your shareholders, we are making decisions here that are placing value and contribution above quick money. Now, the interesting thing is, I documented this in the Translucent Revolution, that when, when companies do this, very often they actually thrive more in the long run. Their value goes up more in the long run when they actually put money as the fourth priority. So there are four Ps. The first is there's people, planet, planet. Um, People, planet, well, let's say three. Uh, there was a fourth, but my brain's not working perfectly to remember it. Let's say you put it, people, planet, profit. When profit comes third, and there are many companies that have stood up for this now, actually, in the long run, the company does better. Hmm.
2: Well, that has been shown again and again. And, you know, that also brings up the question for me um, that the other piece that's going on with organizations uh, has to do actually with gender and has to do with male and female leaders and board members, et cetera, and the actual performance of the company. I want to talk a little bit about that and how your coaching may work and may influence men and or women in different ways. And we come right back.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. consulting developing leaders worldwide
0: Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 96362.
1: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
2: Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my special guests Arjuna Arda, who is the author of Better Than Sex: The Ecstatic Art of Awakening Coaching. Okay, Arjuna, I love all of this that you've been talking about. Now we um, we left off the last segment. You were talking a bit about the differences and how these things are, how organizations, um, their focus affects their profit, and my that, that triggered for me a question about um, gender, and perhaps it's beyond gender, it's perhaps the simply energetic presence of masculine and feminine, and um, you talk a bit in your book about the effect for masculine and feminine in terms of the effect of the coaching with, with the different energies, mm. and you You also know that um, there is research that points out that in organizations that have more balanced energies in in their leadership, whether that's via gender or by people's presence, um, that there is a higher level of profit when there's more diversity, right? And so I'm wondering if this poaching works
3: the same for men and women. Yeah, actually awakening coaching uh, is, uh, it, some of it's the same, but there are, the, when we give practices, which is one of the uh, core competencies is knowing how to give the right practice to somebody, there are different practices that will bring forth masculine and feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to make a mm-hmm. distinction between masculine and feminine energy and men and women, yeah. because um, men have some feminine energy. Of course, they have more masculine yeah. energy, and women have some Masculine energy. Of course, they have more feminine energy. The the way for somebody to be happy and effective is to discover and recognize the natural balance of masculine and feminine energy for that individual specifically. So, generally speaking, our entire culture has slanted more towards the masculine, not just towards the masculine, but towards the kind of unconscious masculine. So, for most companies, what really what can happen to increase the health of the culture, which, you know, eventually has an effect on profit, but it has an effect on a lot of other important things as well, uh, is to actually bring, bring more of a balance of masculine and feminine energy. And that doesn't necessarily mean, like, hiring lots more women. It means actually recognizing these two energies and recognizing there is a place for masculine energy, which, of course, is more associated with testosterone. And there's also a place feminine energy, which is more associated with oxytocin, which means caring and um, and nurturing so. Google would be an, a good example that comes to mind where Google takes extraordinarily good care of its employees. You know, there's, there's uh, uh, it's a company that really um, makes sure everybody's feeling good most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, people get to rest when they need to rest. There's, you know, abundance of food. And actually, you know, Google is not hurting for profit. You know, but yeah. I would imagine that those decisions, we, we don't we don't just want to encourage a company to be making decisions about people because it's going to affect profit. Right. Taking care of people is a value in itself. And a good example of this would be a non-profit organization where they've actually they've taken profit out of the equation, but they still have values. A non-profit organization still has values, which demonstrates that you can create an organization with with Values that hold the organization together but don't have to be profit-driven. And it's very important to, to recognize that, that profit is one aspect of making a company successful. Yes, that there are, yes. You can have a brilliant company, and it's brilliant because it creates happy people.
2: Yes, yes. Well, you know, and that takes me back to the, the quadruple bottom line we mentioned earlier. Yeah. That, uh, that first one is purpose people, planet, and profit. Yes. And, you know, and so if they're in, if woven in the the purpose is to make people happy, then they're going to want to know how to do that. And this takes me back to your basic skills yeah. that we started talking about, and you identified um, the first one, inspired certainty. Why don't you just tell us
3: what the seven are? Exactly, exactly. Because what you're saying, Cheryl, is it's all very well to recognize these different values and these kind of quadru- quadruple bo- bottom lines, but it's somewhat useless if it's theoretical. We've got to have ways to practically right. change people's consciousness. So here right. are the... Here are the seven core competencies that are described in my book, um, Better Than Sex. So number one we've mentioned is inspired certainty. Number two is called absolute presence. And what that means very simply is that the coach has very pragmatic skills they have learned To be completely present with their client, that means free of both internal and external distraction. I'm not going to go into the details now, but it's all in the book. The third skill is called radical awakening, and it means that the coach has the capacity to guide anybody into a direct recognition of their true nature as a limitless consciousness beyond birth and death, beyond any kind of limitation and to be able to access that when they need to. The fourth core competency is called radical releasing, which means to recognize that there are resisted energies in all of us. There are energies which naturally flow, and when they flow, we are creative and happy and participating and healthy. When energies get blocked, and we can talk more about that if you like, when energies get blocked... They're blocked through resistance. So it's not anger that's the problem, it's resistance that's the problem, you see. Mm. Anger becomes violence when it's resisted. When when an energy is allowed to just flow through you, it's not problematic. So radical releasing means that we, we have simple ways to remove resistance. The core competency is called empowerment practice, and it means that the coach knows how to give the right simple practices to a client, mostly things that just take a few minutes a day, so that all of this can be can shift from just a change in consciousness to a change in behavior, to a change in the way that you show up in the workplace, at home, with your children, with your parents, when you're being creative that you can actually, the way that the impact you have on people is also transformed. Mm -hmm. The sixth core competency is called midwifing, the unique gift. And it means that the coach has the capacity in a very, very accurate, predictable, repeatable way to tune into the unique energetic gift that their client came to bring to the planet. The unique flavor that flows only through that client and to bring it forth. And the last is called spontaneous creation, which means that the coach is able to support the client to bring forth qualities out of nothing. So instead of... A good example would be instead of creating happiness by creating the right circumstances in your outer life, you know how to generate happiness or compassion or creativity from out of nothing, which is really a function of, of it's, it's instead of quantum physics, it's quantum consciousness. It's, it's knowing how to generate something that was not there and bring it forth out of out of the uh, out of the out of pure consciousness. And
2: and so. So let me clarify. So generating something that is not there, is that different from
3: helping to reveal something in you that already lives? Well, maybe that's, you know, that's this is actually probably one of the more, more advanced and difficult things to describe. So maybe it's with limited time, it may not be the best one to go into right now. But it—it's really—it is a form of magic, I would say. <laughs> it means that, that some—it means that something is not there, and you—you you produce an intervention which causes it to be there. Oh. And it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it, it's, it's the way that creation happens. That that it, it, it. and it's—it's it's very much you—you you can find a lot of parallels in quantum physics in the way that particles appear yeah. and disappear yeah. in the uh, in um vacuum state
2: I love it so let's go back to the to the fourth skill you've mentioned radical radical releasing releasing. I, I think people get stuck there a lot so talk to us about what are some of the ways to do that
3: well, the important thing about radical releasing is to recognize that we, when we are having an unpleasant experience, we generally try to remove the, um, the content. Which means, so that we talk about negative thoughts. I need to get rid of my negative thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. Or I need to get rid of negative feelings we try to change events, you know, I need to get rid of my mother-in-law or something. Um, But actually what we fail to see is that the suffering or that the stuckness we're experiencing is actually not because of the thought or the feeling or the event. The stuckness is only because of the resistance. Now, this is a bit theoretical right now, but it can be made very practical very quickly. And when you – actually, when people buy the book, they get free access to a website where all mm. of this is demonstrated on video and audio. So you can actually mm. – you don't have to take anybody's word for it theoretically. Lovely. It's It yeah. In a few minutes, it's possible – let's take, for example, I'm not good enough. Mm. I'm not good enough is a thought that most people would say is a negative thought. So what what generally we try to do is we try to prove to ourselves it's not true by getting a better job, making more money, driving a better car. You see, I'm not good enough. But actually, uh-huh. if you look at your experience, it, changing out of circumstances doesn't, doesn't do very much at all to the feeling of I'm not good enough. So then you maybe take a more inward approach and you try and get rid of that feeling by saying affirmations, I am good enough, I'm a great person, mm, yeah. but... It, What we discover is that I'm not good enough. It has no power until it's resisted. It's just a fleeting thought. It's just a fleeting feeling that really doesn't mean much at all. When we take the resistance off, we recognize that I'm not good enough and I am good enough. They're just too frequencies that come and go in life in the same way nobody loves me everybody loves me there's not enough money there's plenty of money these are little frequencies that appear and disappear constantly throughout your day throughout your life when they're not resisted they have no power anymore and you live in a different world which is not dictated by trying to avoid different experiences which is dictated by pure creativity now what i'm describing cheryl is ridiculously simple to bring about uh-huh. when we see that our life is held together by resisted frequencies it is absurdly simple how mm. to take the resistance off and then to live life in a completely different way
2: i love this and i know people are going to want to know so much more about this arjuna mm. We could talk about this for hours but we mm. come to the end of our show so how can they learn more about you and your work
3: Well, you know, I would say buy the book. You know, it's the next step. Better than sex. You can get it on Amazon. You can uh, get it, you know, wherever you get books. (laughs) Better than (laughs) sex, you can go to my website, (laughs) Arjunaharda.com. It's there as well. Um, Get the book. When you get the book, it invites you to... for free to be part of a member's area and reader's area where you can watch video and hear audio. And then if you feel you want to go further, if you'd like to learn how to practice this kind of coaching or if you'd like to receive coaching from me or from one of the people I've trained, um, you uh, you can get all of that. But I think the first step is just check out the book and see what you think.
2: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor having you on Leading Conversations, Arjuna. The book is Better Than Sex, The Ecstatic Art of Awakening coaching by Arjuna Arda Arjuna you have a wonderful day we'll have thank you, you
3: so much dear friend thank you
2: love you and remember everyone to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters this is Cheryl Esposito.